welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. everyone. Welcome to Turn the Page, the Syosset Library podcast. Uh, I'm Barney Leventino, and I'm welcoming back today uh, author Don Bentley. Don, welcome. Well, thanks for having me again, Barney. You know, I, I think this might be the third or fourth time you've been on the podcast, <laughs> which is great. And and it, you were here very recently back in May when we were talking about the newest of your Matt Drake uh, books, Forgotten War. And yeah. today we're going to be talking about your um entry into the Jack Ryan Jr. Uh, series, Weapons Grade, Tom Clancy Weapons Grade. Yeah, so it's actually my fourth Tom Clancy book in the, uh, and probably my last for this foreseeable future. So you get me for my swan song. You know, you've been a busy guy this year. How many books <laughs> did you come out with this year? Uh, three. So this year was a little crazy and it was, uh, about two years in the making. So about two, two and a half years ago, my editor for both the Clancy books and my Matt Drake book said, Hey, going forward, the Clancy estate wants to do, um, three books a year instead of two. And so every other year there would be two in the series that you write. And he said, you know, I'm just telling you that because I know there's no way in the world you would want to try and write those, right? And I said, well, actually, maybe I would. And so he put me on this crazy schedule where basically for the last two years, I've been churning out a book every five months. And so the culmination of that is these three books in one year. So not crazy enough to be able to try and write three books in one year, but I guess I wrote about two and a quarter over over the course of three years. You know, there are um, fans of a uh, certain science fiction fantasy series who would love for the author <laughs> of that series to hear your approach and how you, you cranked out three books in that, in that period of time. But we won't name names. <laughs> well, I think I'm still not as uh, prolific as like Brandon Sanderson. And when you were talking about science fiction or fantasy, I think that guy cranks out a book like every two months or something. He's amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, weapons grade, Jack Ryan Jr. Let's talk a little bit about Jack Ryan Jr. and where he's at this go round. Yeah, so it's like I said, it's my fourth um, book in the series, and when I when I got the opportunity to start, it was with Target Acquired, and I really wanted to. Um, I think part of the things you do as a writer when you come to a legacy series is say, you know, what is some untilled ground um, that I could start digging in and and try and um, not so much put my own mark on the series as explore something that maybe other writers hadn't. And so for me, I really centered on um, Jack Ryan Jr. and kind of his growth as a as a person, as um, potentially a husband, as, um, you know, what, what did he think at the point in his life where he'd achieved what he'd achieved, um, but his biggest idol is his father, and his father was married and had kids by by the time he was his age. And so I spent a lot of time doing that, and that kind of culminated with my third book that was Flashpoint, um, that was a big geopolitical thriller. When I turned it in, my editor said, you know, this is actually a Tom Clancy senior book, not a junior book, because the stakes were so high. And so I told him with Weapons Grade, I just want to write a smaller book from the standpoint of I have this idea about 
kind of a small town um, where things have gone wrong. And he's like, so kind of like a Jack Reacher, but with um, with Jack Jr. And I said, yeah. And then as every time I write a book, as I go into it, the stakes suddenly become larger and larger and larger. And so uh, Weapons Grade kind of follows two um, two separate storylines or what seem like step separate. The first is Jack Ryan Jr. poking around in a small town in Texas um, when things go sideways. And then the bigger global overarching one is that the the Iranians, uh, the Israelis have just discovered that the Iranians are about to reach nuclear breakout. And because they had a clandestine enrichment facility that nobody knew about. And those two storylines intersect in kind of spectacular fashion and weapons grade. The the whole techno thriller part of the story um, carries the way these books always do. It's really an yeah. interesting story. But you touched a little bit on on. Jack Reacher Jr. as a person and coming to grips with where he is yeah. and the prospect of um, impending parenthood for him in yeah. in, in uh, uh, means that his fiance might be yep. become the guardian of her of her niece and and um, the concept of parenthood actually runs through a couple of ways through this book. You have Jack Ryan Jr. dealing with this potential. And then you have his dad, who is a father, but is also commander in chief and president. And that the tension in Ryan Sr. when he's faced with a situation where somebody's looking at him and he's learning that, yeah, my son is in the midst of this. And He needs to make a decision. As a parent, you would say, "Get my son out of harm's way." Right. But right. as 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 the sink, you got to say, "Do what's what you got to do." And that that tension comes through in in, in Jack Senior. I appreciate you saying that, and that is something um, for me. So I served in the military. I was in the army for ten years, and my oldest, uh, my son, was born shortly after September 11th, and so. He is now um, a senior in college at Texas A&M, which figures um, pretty prominently in the book as well. And he is in the middle of getting his commission as a Marine Corps officer. And so, you know, there's there's a saying that's something to the effect of old men don't fight wars. And and the reason for that, I think, is that when you're an old man or a man, a middle aged man like me, you have it's your kids that are the ones who are going to fight that war. And it certainly brings a completely different perspective um, to everything. Right. And, 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 and so I wanted to, you know, the, these books are meant to entertain and they're meant to, to tell stories that keep you up late at night. But I think, I think readers also resonate with veracity, whether that veracity is kind of the technical details that you alluded to before, or the fact that a father is who is commander in chief doesn't um surrender the fact that he is still a father and he has to and it, and it wouldn't to me it wouldn't be real if those decisions didn't weigh on him differently when it's his son that's in exactly. the middle of the fray exactly and i i'm not sure i can't remember if it was you i was talking to or another author i mean i read a lot of these thrillers and you know the spy stuff that's that's yep. kind of my my, my uh, wheelhouse and i i commented on the plausibility sometimes of stories and when they yeah. get so far fetched that you yep. just kind of lose it. Yep. Whereas here, you know, the events that bring Jack in yeah. seem plausible enough and realistic enough that you can follow and the story kind of makes sense in that regard. Well, I appreciate you saying that it is, you know, it's always, um, 
it's always a hard line to walk as a thriller for writer. You know, when I wrote uh, my first book, uh, Without Sanction, that was the first book in the Matt Drake series, I, a great friend of mine spent the majority of his Army career as a, as a Delta Force operator. He retired from Delta Force as a sergeant major. And so there was a portion in that book that I had him review for me for technical accuracy. And when we got done, he said, you know, we would never just send one guy to go meet with a spy in Syria. You know that, right? And I said, yeah, but was it a good story? And he said, it was a great story. And so I think that's part of the when you pick up one of these books, you're willing to suspend your disbelief to a point, Absolutely. right? And and that's what the author's job is to do, is to push it to that point, but hopefully not make you as a reader say, oh, man, I, I don't believe that. You know, that's that's the line I think all of us are trying to walk. The um, story itself, Jack gets involved with um, a, a group of mercenaries, South African yeah. mercenaries. And I think um, in, somewhere along the line, there was a comment that that South African mercenaries is, has the most mercenaries yeah. per capita. How yeah. did that happen? And is it? Yeah, so it was really interesting because I started, I can't remember how I um, started down that rabbit hole, but I started looking at... Um, uh, mercenaries, I think I may have been looking at just mercenaries fighting in Africa, and I started realizing that they were predominantly of South African origin. And then when you start digging into it, you realize that most of these people, as the mercenaries have kind of depicted in my book, were originally within the South African um, military and either were kicked out or they didn't have a place for them or, and they had one valuable skill and it was to be, you know, a soldier of fortune and across the African continent unfortunately there were many opportunities to apply that trade but the very interesting or at least interesting to me point as a thriller writer is that many of those mercenaries now are in their 50s or even 60s because they can't do anything else and they don't have you know a retirement from their military service or or the ability to stop and so there were a couple of really interesting articles that I stumbled across about and I forget um off the top of my head the name of the country but it was importing south african mercenaries to deal with their islamic um jihadist threat and these and these guys were in their 50s or 60s and still trying to go to toe to toe with these and I'm like man that's fascinating and so that kind of led me down the path of what would it, if you were a great commander, what would you do to try and take care of your guys that had served alongside you that were still, and that, that kind of spun its way into this book. But it was, it was definitely like, like um, many of the Clancy books of old too, certainly based on kernels of truth. There's a, um, it, it's strange to say it, but there's, there's almost a poignancy in yeah. the, interactions between the mercenary commander and I guess yeah. the second in command recognizing that yeah we're we're on the on the on the back end of this thing and yep. um the commander doing what he needs to do to try to get take care of his men. Um yep. I don't know if you're familiar with um James Byrne who came out with a, a series recently. He came out with a second book um it's uh, the Desmond Limerick series. I, it's really mm -hmm. a lot of fun. The character is just a fabulous, interesting guy. And in his second book, there's, um, again, the same situation where he's dealing with a mercenary uh, mm. who is 
understands that his situation is really, really bleak. But his primary concern right now is how do I take care of my men? I know I'm going to get it here, but how do I take care of my men? It's an interesting thread that comes across. But anyway, the James Byrne Desmond Limerick series, I recommend it to you. Just it's a fun read. And the character is just a really, really different, interesting kind of guy. So now I'll check it out. We'll get back to James uh, to um, Jack Ryan Jr. Now, Um, Jack's background is is different. He's not a military guy. And yeah. he, he works with the campus. Talk a little yep. bit about that for some of our readers who may not know about it, how it came about, what it's designed to do. Yes. Yeah, so the campus is is actually an invention of or by Tom Clancy. And so I think it was called Teeth of the Tiger was the first time that, excuse me, the campus came into play. And in particular, Jack Ryan Jr. joining it. And so it was... um I believe it, he primarily brought it into play because he realized that Jack Ryan Sr. was president and it was difficult to tell the stories he wanted to tell when he couldn't take his main protagonist and have him kick indoors anymore. And so he, he came up with the campus, which is kind of this off the books quasi member of the intelligence community that um, two other fan favorite characters, you know, John Clark from Rainbow Six fame or Without Remorse, um, which kind of tells John's story. And then Ding Chavez, who um, another had had been partnered with um, Clark from, I think, Without Remorse or not Without Remorse, uh, Clear and Present Danger on. Both of them were original um, members of Rainbow Six and then members of the campus as well. And so what was always interesting to me, so Jack Ryan Jr., the president's son, originally joined the campus as kind of a financial analyst and um, kind of stumbled his way into more of a paramilitary role. But unlike everybody else who's an employee of the campus, he doesn't belong there from the standpoint if he doesn't have a background from the intelligence community, from the special operations community, even from the military. And so that was another area that I didn't feel like the other authors had touched on before. And so as I was writing, I'm like, what would a guy in his scenario think when he realizes he knows the only reason why he's even in this group is because his last name is Ryan. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, if it were me, I'd have a bit of a chip on my shoulder of do I not only do I really belong here, but how do I prove to myself and the other legends that are my comrades that I do belong here? And so that is also something that I explored over the four books um, that I wrote in this series. And it also kind of comes to a head in weapons grade. It, excuse me, it does indeed come through and he, he, he wears that skin. I think he's gotten more and more comfortable with it as the books have gone on. And he recognizes that, okay, maybe this is how it started, but I think he's become much more confident in his own abilities. Um, Notwithstanding that he seems to find himself in trouble all the time, (laughs) but, but, but that makes it more fun. Um, there's a whole lot of technical stuff in yeah. all of these books. And I know we've discussed earlier the 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 need to try to draw a balance between that yep. and the reader who's in it just for the thriller part of it. Um, this book touches on um, uh, an experimental weapon system. And, yep. and my question to you is, is how much of your technical stuff in these books is is fact? How much is fiction how much of it is a little bit of both 
Yeah, so so this one is actually a lot um fact from the standpoint of so I'm an aviation geek, you know, I flew Apache helicopters in the army. Most aviation geeks, their favorite airplane ever is the SR-71 Blackbird. And I was going right? to say that that's my next point. Yeah. There's a character in the book that's an inanimate object, but the yep. SR-71 is indeed a character here. And so I love that plane. Um, I loved planes that go fast, and I love reading about planes that are trying to go faster. So the SR-71s um, is is the fastest air-breathing uh, plane, you know, whatever, 50 or 60 years still after it was built. And so I sort of had this idea. I was really interested in hypersonics. It's been, you know, kind of the, the topic de jour now of uh, what do we do about hypersonic missiles? What do we do? And so there's this really interesting um, company, this startup company called Hermius that is in Atlanta, and they're trying to make the first hypersonic jet airplane. And one of the ways they're paying for that is they're making a trying to make a hypersonic um, uh, unmanned uh, combat area vehicle, a UCAV, and the and and they had just won some really big contracts from the Air Force for doing it, and they're posting. They have this great series where they post their videos online of their engine firing, and they did this amazing podcast where they brought an actual SR seventy one into the factory with their engineers for him to talk about what it was like flying. You know, the SR-71, which isn't hypersonic, it only goes to Mach 3, but it's still this incredible airplane. Well, his name is Bob Bear. And so when I looked at him, I thought, man, I would love to talk to that guy. And so I reached out to him, and this is where it's nice to write Tom Clancy books because that name opens a lot of doors. And I said, hey, can I interview you and talk to you about what it was like to fly the SR-71? And so because I have this idea, and I spent an hour and a half on the phone with him, and it was maybe one of the most fascinating conversations I'd ever had. And so at the end, I said, you know what? I'm bringing back the SR-71 for this book I'm writing, Weapons Grade, could I name a character after you? And he said, absolutely. And so the the Bob Bear that's in the book is actually named for him. And he gave me like all kinds of incredible um, stories and what it was like to fly it. And so most of it, there are some mistakes I made in the book that Bob has already pointed out to me graciously. But the um, the majority of it is is fact and is based on the interviews I did with him. And he um, there's an incredible journalist named Alex Hollings who writes for um, Popular Mechanics, and he has his own uh, website called Sandbox News where he does all these neat aviation videos. He is actually reading the book now, and then he's going to moderate an interview between Bob and I where we talk about hypersonics, the Corvair, which is the UCAV in the book, and all of that great stuff. So that's going to be fantastic too, but a lot more in this book uh, was fact than than is usually uh, probably more often is fiction. So I'll say that. That interview between the two of you sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm going to keep an eye out for that. I'd love yeah. to watch that. Here's another stupid question. Shouldn't a lot of this stuff be classified or what? I mean, it's like all this stuff is just wide open. Yeah. So what's interesting is that um, most of the stuff, so the the SR-71, the majority of stuff I put in there, obviously the plane is long since retired. And so right. Bob was very careful 
to draw the line between missions that he actually flew, which may or may not still be classified, and then kind of some commonly available data on the airplane that he could talk about. And just and what I wanted to do more than anything was just give the reader a sense of what it was like to sit in the cockpit. What and, you're taking the words out of my mouth because I was telling <laughs> you as I'm reading the book, I'm feeling like I'm fl- in that's the good plane flying with him. That's good because he because I felt that way after I got done talking with him, and it's just. You don't like I flew a, a very advanced um, helicopter and had a lot of help flying it from the standpoint of there's there's so much now uh, where the computer helps you, where you have autopilot, you have holds in the SR-71. It was, you know, still the wild, wild west when that was flying back there. And he said, you know, there was no um, long program where you got to slowly ease into it. And he's like, you basically got two or three flights or whatever with an instructor. And then they told you to go figure it out. And so most of the people who flew that airplane had been like Bob was an air force test pilot before he went and and did that mission. But it really was, you know, there's a a part in the book um, that I stole from Bob that I thought just so perfectly characterized how much of that flying that plane was on the very ragged edge. And so you have this condition called unstarts, where the airflow in one of the engine gets interrupted. And so if you imagine this airplane going Mach 3 and one of the engines stop producing thrust, you get this incredible yaw rate, which means the nose spins. It's almost like trying to do a 90-degree turn. So imagine doing that at 50 miles an hour and figure out how much worse it would be at you know 3,000 miles an hour or what 1,800 miles an hour, whatever Mach 3 is. Well, when the airplane first came out, there was no indication which engine had actually unstarted because what would happen is one would go out and the computer would automatically pull the other engine back and you as the pilot would have to figure out which one had done the unstart and do the correct procedure. Otherwise, you would sabotage the only working engine. And so a little later, they put in a gauge that would help you do that. But Bob said in the beginning, the way he'd figure it out is whichever side his of the canopy his head bounced off of he knew it was the other engine so if he hit the right side of the canopy it was the number one engine that flamed out and i'm like oh my gosh like only back then could you get away with people flying an airplane that much on the ragged edge and and it was just incredible the low-tech solution but it worked <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly uh, no but i it, it's amazing because that that plane is indeed it's a character in this book yeah I mean, it's just yeah. It, it's got a life of its own it's just really fascinating and he as a character is yeah. just, you're rooting for him the whole way. He, uh, I think he was less than thrilled at first because he read the first chapter and it starts like with Bob Bear as a dinosaur. And he's like, I can't believe you said that. And then by the end, he's like, okay, I like my character. But uh, yeah, thank you. It was terrific. Um, the book is Weapons Grade. It's a Jack Ryan Jr. novel, Tom Clancy Universe, written by Don Bentley. Don, we talked earlier, you've been very, very busy What's coming up for you next? Yeah, so I've, I I have uh, managed to hit the lottery twice, I guess. So the first um, first time was being allowed to to write the Clancy, um, write in the Clancy universe, and so now I actually get to take over uh, the Vince Flynn Mitch Rap books for Kyle Mills. So he and I are going out on a book tour together, where um, Kyle's last book um, called Code Red for. Uh, the Mitch Rapp universe and my last book, uh, Weapons Great for Clancy. And then I am in the middle 
of writing my first Mitch Rapp book right now, which is still hard for me to wrap my mind around. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to that one also. I'm a huge Mitch Rapp fan mm. from, from way back, from book one. Me too. And, uh, I know, based upon what you've done with Matt Drake and what you've done with Jack Ryan Jr., that it's going to be a, a real, real thriller um, in every sense of the word. I'm really looking forward to that. You got a timetable on that? Yeah, so it's so um there's a lot of really cool traditions that surround um Vince Flynn and Mitch Rapp. So for instance, Kyle and I are our second stop, it's usually the first stop, is this little independent bookstore in Minneapolis. And the reason why they go there every year is because Vince self-published his first book called Term Limits. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was quite the salesman because he went to this bookstore owner and said, if you carry my book, when I make it big, I'll kick off every tour in your little bookstore. And so they still do that. Well, another um, another kind of tradition around it is the books always come out in on in September. I believe it's September 11th, and so my first Mitch Rapp book will should come out in September of 2024. Okay, I'm going to look forward to that, and I'm hoping you'll be able to come back and talk about that one as well. Absolutely. Um, good luck with this. Uh, it you've done a terrific job with um, the Tom Clancy universe. The books have all been fabulous. And I love the Matt Drake series. And as I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you're going to do with Mitch Rapp. So thank you so much. Thanks for stopping in. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again and take a little breather. Three books <laughs> inside of like about six or seven months coming out is, is, uh, take a rest. Well, thank you. I will. Thanks so much for having me, Barney. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.